good worship time, and uh, thank you, Jeff, and musicians. Uh, good to see you this morning. Good to welcome those online with us today as we are uh, working. He got away, and uh, he got captured. <laughs> it happens sometimes. Well, take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. On Sunday mornings, we are in our series through the book of Revelation. When I began the series, I, I didn't uh, realize that COVID would happen and all the events that have transpired, but certainly appropriate for us to learn where things are headed as God reveals it in his word. Our passage today deals with three angelic messengers uh, that God will send during the tribulation. And just to kind of set the context a little bit, uh, in, in these chapters that we're in uh, through chapter 15, John is uh, having a vision and it is a, a parenthetical. Uh, I've shared with you many times what that is, but it, it, it uh, should, uh, it's valuable to, to remember and understand. The parentheticals that you find in Revelation don't advance the chronology of events. In other words, we know there are the seal judgments and the and trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments, and there is a flow of events. The rapture of the church will kick the whole thing off. But at points in here, as God reveals what's going to happen in that seven-year period uh, when he brings human history to its conclusion and brings in the kingdom of Christ, he fills in detail. He doesn't just follow the chronology. He stops and says, well, let me give you detail about these events. And that's what we're reading here. We're reading it at near the end in the last uh, part of the tribulation in the last three and a half years for sure, and probably near the last part of the judgments, the bold judgments, these events will happen. And last time we were together in this passage, uh, John saw Jesus standing on Mount Zion with the 144,000 with him. Now, you will remember if you've been with us in the study that in the tribulation in that seven-year period, God saves, uh, seals and saves out of the tribulation 144,000 Jews, 12,000 out of each tribe. And their job, if you will, that, uh, that chosen group that's sealed, their job is to be witnesses to the world in that seven-year period. They will be evangelists, if you will, 144,000 of them uh, preaching the gospel. Now, what's significant about that is that in the darkest, most wicked time of human history, in the time when man is most rebellious, the Antichrist is leading his government rebellion against God, God still will demonstrate grace. God will still send 144,000 evangelists out into the world to preach the gospel so men and women can be saved. What a great God we have. That in the midst of man's most desperate rebellion against him, God is still extending his grace and his mercy that lost men and women could be saved. So uh, it reminds us here, if you will, for just a moment, that Ezekiel tells us in Ezekiel 33 that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God himself said, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He said, I would rather that they turn from their wickedness and live. God would desire that of you today. I don't know if you're watching online today, watching the video at some other point, or here this morning. Personally, if you've never been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, God takes no pleasure in judgment of your sin or of you for your sin. He would rather save you. So if you've never been born again by faith in Jesus Christ, I would invite you to do that today. In this passage, we find that angels are also included in God's plan of administering the tribulation, if you will. Angels we have seen are, are engaged in delivering some of the judgments, 
But in this passage, God has three angels that will be identified to deliver three specific messages. And I want to look at those for just a moment this morning. Uh, it's interesting and, and appropriate. Angelos is the Greek word, which means messenger for angel. So let's look at what these three angels will say during the tribulation, what God will send them out to deliver. And the first one we find in verses 6 and 7. Look at it with me in your copy of God's word. John said, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. Now, flying in the midst of heaven means he is, he is uh, flying through the, through the air and, and loudly proclaiming so that everybody can hear him. And the idea is he's going to do it all over the world. Okay, so what's he going to say? Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. Now, watch this, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Verse 7 saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. This first angel uh, is tasked with preaching the gospel. Do you find that interesting? I mean, an angel. We already have the 144,000 preaching all over the world. We already have the two witnesses that the world hates and are on the, on the news every night defying the Antichrist and speaking against his government and preaching, and they're sealed. But in addition, near the end, as the end draws near, it's almost as if God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make one more full-pitch effort. I'm going to send an angel, and I'm going to have this angel fly through the, through the sky and preach with a loud voice and proclaim the gospel that, that men and women could be saved. Do we get a do we get a picture here of how much God desires for lost men and women to be saved? Do we get a picture here of how, of how God, God as the end draws near, God is, is almost desperate, it's a bad word because God's never desperate, but it's almost in a, in a last pitch effort, God is sending this angel to fly through the heavens to warn people uh, for the last time that they need to get saved, the need to come to him, and they need to confess their sin and be born again. Let me make some observations, a couple things we can notice. It says here that this is the eternal gospel. You notice that? I like that. The eternal gospel. What does that mean? Well, it means it's been around forever. You say, how has it been around forever? Because God's forever, and it was in the heart of God forever. You see, God knew he was going to create. Now, I don't know when in eternity he decided just to do that, because he's God. And in the, and in the Trinity Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they decide together as one God, we're going to create. And uh, in Genesis, God said, let us create man. So you get the idea of the Trinity. And God created. But the gospel, the, the, the plan of salvation was in the heart of God from the beginning because he knew us before he made us. He created us as free moral agents. Listen to this very carefully. God purposely, in his sovereignty, chose to create free moral agents with limited autonomy to choose or reject him. And God loves us and so desires for us to choose him, but some won't. So the plan was always for eternity. But another thing that we can draw from it being the eternal gospel is it's always been the same. Not only has it always been, but listen, listen very carefully online, listen. The only way to be saved always is by faith in Jesus Christ. It's never been any different. It's always been the same. From, from the Garden of Eden to this moment today, the only way to be saved is by faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's pretty definitive, isn't it? Now, see, people will attack us as Christians. They'll say, well, you Christians are, are exclusive. You don't, you don't include everybody. Well, that's not true. Because God said he's going to send the gospel to every nation, tongue, tribe, and people. Anybody can be saved. But here's, here's the problem with secular humanism. Secular humanism says everybody gets a trophy, right? Secular humanism says you lived in humanity, so you, you, congratulations, you lived and breathed God's air you're in. That's not, no, listen, truth is exclusive, isn't it? Because truth is truth, and anything that isn't truth is what? False. Can't help you, all right? I mean, there's truth, and then there's false. And God said, God said, it's the eternal gospel. It's always been this way. Now, somebody will say, well, you know, I, I don't think that's fair. God didn't ask your opinion. God's, God's not asking you or me to tell him how to run his universe. Matter of fact, the very, the very fact that he is God with a capital G means he gets to make the rules, right? I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I find that he's pretty gracious. Do you think God could be much more hard about this? Well, read the law in the Old Testament. I mean, seriously. God tells Moses one day, don't do anything on the Sabbath day. Don't even pick up firewood. The next Sabbath day, what's this guy doing? He's picking up firewood. So Moses arrests, arrests him. They, they, they bring him in and Moses, I don't know what we're supposed to do with him. We never had anybody picking up firewood on the Sabbath day before. So they put him in. And Moses went to God and said, Lord, we got this guy picking up firewood. What do we do with him? Do you remember what God said? Stone him. Excuse me? Lord, he's picking up firewood to cook some biscuits or something, you know? No, he broke the law. I told you clearly, plainly. He understood he wasn't supposed to be picking up firewood or doing anything on the Sabbath day, so stone him. So he'd be an example to everybody else. And they stoned that dude. Listen, the eternal gospel is the same because God has been the same in his grace and his mercy. He could be much more difficult about things, but in grace and mercy, he says, look, you can be saved and I'll forgive you. I'll save you. When I was first saved, they told me I ought to share my faith with other people. I was 11 years old. <clears throat> so the day after I was saved on Sunday, August 13th, 1972, I had a, a, a friend whose name was Friend. His last name was Friend. So Friend was my friend kind of weird. But we, we shot BB guns together and rode bicycles and climbed trees and did what, you know, 11-year-olds do, get into mischief mostly. But I told him the next day, I said, hey, you know what happened to me yesterday? I didn't really understand what happened to me yesterday. I mean, I trusted Jesus by faith, but when you're 11, I couldn't find books in the Bible. I just said, man, I'm a sinner. And I prayed, asked Jesus to forgive me, and he saved me. So I told my, I told my friend, I said, hey, I got saved yesterday. He said, what's that? So I told him the story. I said, man, I went to Sunday school, and this lady told me that I'm a sinner and that Jesus died. And I told him the whole gospel thing that she told me. And I said, man, I believed her because, you know, I do wrong stuff all the time. And I said, I know you. You do too. And because uh, he was doing them with me most of the time. <clears throat> and I, and I, said, I said, man, I got saved. I said, you were to get saved. You know what my friend did? I want to get saved too. So he prayed. First guy I led to the Lord was the day after I got saved. 
kind of weird, right? I didn't know no verses, man. I, didn't, I, didn't, I couldn't even tell him a verse to find in the Bible. But I said, man, if you trust Jesus, he'll save you. So he prayed and asked Jesus to save him. Now listen, you know what they taught me this everlasting? They taught me the Romans road. Y'all know that? You ever did? Well, I'm not going to take an evangelistic training session this morning, but, but let, me, let me just do four verses out of the Romans road and tell you how effective, how effective this eternal gospel is, okay? The first thing God tells us in the Romans road, in Romans 3.23, he says we're all sinners, right? For all of sin comes short of the glory of God. Was it, it means we don't measure up. No matter how good we are, we don't measure up to God's righteousness. That's the eternal gospel. God forever said, man, I'm holy, and y'all are messed up. I'm holy, and ever since Adam rebelled, you sinners. So there we are. So there's God and his holiness, and us and our sin, and the two can't meet. Why? Because God's holy, and he won't have anything to do with sin. And then God said it. Then the gospel says it's worse than that. Not only are you all sinners, which makes us feel real good, doesn't it? I mean, you know, when you're sharing the gospel, that's the part people really don't appreciate. Hey, did you know God says you're a sinner? Boy, in our touchy-feely society today, that gets people fired up. What do you mean I'm a sinner? Who's judging me? Oh, not me. God, talk to God. He said you're a sinner. Okay. But then the Bible says in Romans 6, 3, it says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. So it gets worse. God said, not only are you sinners, but in this everlasting gospel, it's going to cost you. Okay, I mean, it's going to cost you everything. Your, your physical life and your spiritual life, you can go to hell, spend eternity in a lake of fire. Well, man, all the gospel you got, it'd be pretty depressing, wouldn't it? Man, who? man I'm, I, I'm in all kinds of trouble. But listen, but then there's Romans 5.8, one of the great verses in the Bible. But God commended his love toward us. Watch. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, there's the answer. God said, look, in a heap of trouble in, in a country saying, God, you're, you're sinners and the penalty's death and you have no hope. But I'm going to extend my love to you. I'm going to commend my love to you while you're a sinner, while you don't merit it, while you, while you can't earn it. I'm just going to extend it to you and I'm going to send my son to die for you on the cross. Well, that's good news, isn't it? And then God said, look, if you want it, if you want what I'm offering, if you want the forgiveness and the pardon and the full life and you want eternal life, you won't be forgiven of your sin, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Listen, that's the eternal gospel. Well, that's the gospel that was true in 1972 when I got saved. It's the gospel that's true today, and it's the gospel that'll be true to the day Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom. And you know what? In the kingdom age, those boys and girls that are born to those mom and daddies who are saved to go into kingdom age, they're going to have to get saved the same way, by faith in Jesus Christ. It's the same gospel. So this angel flies through the, through the heavens and proclaims the truth of this gospel. Now notice who he proclaims it to, to the whole world. He, he proclaims it to every nation, every people, every tribe, every tongue. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, listen to this. He said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Jesus said, before I come back, the gospel is going to be preached in the whole world. This angel is going to fulfill that because he's going to fly around the world preaching the gospel. And everybody's going to hear it. And I'll tell you the last thing this reminds us of. These are great two verses if you haven't figured it out yet. 
I'll tell you another thing this reminds us of. God's no respecter of persons. Uh, I don't know about you, but it breaks my heart to look at our society today and see the, the discord and the hatred. God is no respecter of persons. God, God, listen, God doesn't measure us by our education or uneducation. God doesn't measure us by rich or poor. God doesn't measure us if we're cultured or uncultured. Good night. When he saved me, I lived in a, in a, in a 10 by 50 foot. We had 500 feet in our whole house. My bedroom was like a closet. We had bunk beds so me and my brother could sleep in there. We had nothing. We had a bunch of farm animals and chickens and a piece of land, and we grew our, most of our own food. Thankful God doesn't measure us by riches or poorness, because I was poor and didn't even know I was poor. Doesn't measure us by education. Doesn't measure us by culture. I was about as uncultured as they come. God saved me anyway. Doesn't measure us by our, by our, our ethnicity or the color of our skin or where we come from. Jesus Christ died for every human being who will ever breathe air. And he died for the ones that won't breathe air. And the babies that get killed in the womb, he saved them too. So the gospel, this everlasting gospel, this eternal gospel will be preached to the whole world and the angel's going to go out and do that. Now, we find out here in verse 7 that this good news of this eternal gospel is a two-sided coin. It's good news, but it can also be bad news. You say, how can it be bad news? Well, it's bad news for those who don't accept it. Look at verse 7 again. Saying with a loud voice. Now look what he calls the world to do, this angel. He calls the world to do this. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his what? Judgment. There it is. The hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs and the waters. Boy, think about what this angel says. Number one, he says, fear God. Why would he say that? Well, number one, during the tribulation, they're fearing the Antichrist. They're worshiping the Antichrist. Everybody's bowed down to him and everybody's claiming him to be God. The angel says, no, 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 no. Fear God. And to make sure they understood who he's talking about, fear the one who made everything. Fear the one who created all things. Fear God. Now, what does it mean to fear God? We've talked about this before. It doesn't mean necessarily to cower before God, though a person who's rebellious is probably going to end up doing that. But it means, to, it means to respect him for who he is. It means to give him honor for who he is, to give him to acknowledge that he's God and that we're the creature and he's the creator. I don't know how you pray in your prayer time. And I pray, I, I hope you do have a prayer time. But I am forever telling God in my prayer time, Lord, I, f I am so weak and so messed up that, that sometimes I'm ashamed that I, God, how you know, it's kind of like Paul. You know, Lord, I, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I want to do. And my heart knows. But then in, in a moment, my flesh rises up. You ever deal with that? Boy, y'all must be really doing good. I don't know. And I'm not doing something right. I don't know. But listen, is it not a struggle all the time? Do you know what the angel says here? He said, just honor God. Just honor God. I like the song we sang this morning. Check your stuff. Check your shame at the door. Check your, check your failures at the door. Why? Because the Father saved you. He took care of all that stuff. The angel says, fear God. Give him the reverence. Give him the respect. Honor him. Worship him. 
not the Antichrist, not the things of this world. Listen, our secular humanistic society worships the things of this world. And they worship the things of man. And they worship pleasures and, and, and resources and money and fame and name and policy and all the things that the world fights over. No, the angel says, listen, worship God. Why? Because the hour of his judgment has come. All those we've already saw in the, the little snippet of Romans Road, the wages of sin is death. Those who reject God, those who reject, listen, those who reject his free and gracious offer of salvation will have to pay for their own sin. And they will do it. In just a moment, we'll see. They're going to do it in a lake of fire forever and forever and forever. And the angel says, listen, fear God and glorify him because the hour of his judgment has come. The angel says, you don't have much time left. The hour's come. The time is here. So make your decision. Choose wisely. And, I, and listen, I believe this is true. Those who have been presented with the gospel and those who have been convicted and those who have had the opportunity to be saved, their judgment will even be greater because they rejected the thing that they knew they ought to do. Don't fall into that category today. If that's you, don't fall into that category. I like the, the reason, that, the, the fact that the angel says, worship God because he's the creator. Let me read you something David said in Psalm 19. And Paul echoes this in Romans chapter one, by the way. You can go home and read it. David said this, the heavens declare the glory of God. Boy, don't they? Don't they? See a sunrise coming up over the ocean or, or the moon at night. I used to do helicopter control officer on a frigate and I'd have to go up in the middle of the night and sit in this little control booth and kind of like the control tower for the helicopters and land on this little little bitty patch of steel in the middle of the ocean. And uh, sometimes when the ship was rolling around, I was glad I was in the booth and he's in the helicopter. But uh, man, you see the moon out there on the ocean and you just look at that creation and I'd sit up there just praising God. Then the guy would call me on the radio and say, man, you just messed up my praise time. What do you want? I want to land this helicopter. Okay, all right. Listen to what David said. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Listen, day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. You know what, you know what David was saying there? Don't care what language you speak. Don't care where you come from. You can look at creation and know there's a God. And, and Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 1. Now, that's the message of the first angel. I pray that you hear the message that the angel is going to preach and that you heed it now and that you know that you're saved. Let's deal with, real quick with the last two angels. Uh, beginning in verse 8, we have the second angel who's going to deliver another message. And this message has to do with the fall of Babylon. Look at verse 8. And another angel follows saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. That great city because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now understand this. Antichrist will probably have a capital city somewhere. And the Bible doesn't tell us where. You know that he's going to reunite the old Roman Empire, those nations, and he'll be over their economies and their militaries and their political leaders. But this isn't speaking specifically of a, of a, of a particular city, though it may apply. What this is speaking of is a worldwide political, economic, and religious system under the Antichrist. And you say, why is it called Babylon? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Right after the flood, man began to spread out again. You know, there was Noah and Shemham and Jepheth and, and their families, and they had babies, and the, and the population of the world began to grow again. There arose a guy named Nimrod. You remember him? Okay. Nimrod, and I'm sure there were other 
people who rejected God after the flood and became lost or were lost and rejected God and became reprobate. But Nimrod was a mighty warrior, the Bible says. He was a leader and he built up a kingdom. And in his kingdom, he led his kingdom to reject God. And the, that rejection was expressed in the building of this thing called the Tower of Babel. Remember that? Okay, y'all are Genesis. Read it this week. So Nimrod is leading, and, and it's called Babel, the Tower of Babel. Now, the reason the angel says Babylon has fallen here, watch this now. That same, that same rebellious nature in man that we see today was begun there. In, in, a, in a visible form in the Tower of Babel. And you know God interfered with that, right? God came down, confused their language, and scattered them all over the place. But the fact is that that began as a rebellion against God. And so that whole systemic sinful nature of man to be rebellious against God that we see today in society and, and is ever-growing was evident in that first city in Babylon. And then, of course, later came along with the actual city of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, and you can read that in the Bible. So God calls this rebellious economic, social, and political attitude of man, this secular humanistic worship of man and science and those things, he calls it Babylon. And what the angel says is that stuff's about to end. He's saying that stuff's about to come to an end because Jesus is about to come back. And Jesus is going to come back and, and set up his kingdom. I would suggest to you today that that same pattern of rebellion is evident in our society today. We have a society of people who have no respect for God. No respect for God. We have a society that has no respect for the law of God. None. Like you, I, I listen to uh, news and I listen to people give speeches Political leaders, I listen to them as much as I can stand anyway. And there is a common denominator among all of them. It is a lostness without a clue what God has to say. That's all, that's all I can say about it. I'm not for one political person over another because most of them are all lost. And listen to me. If they're lost without Jesus Christ, they don't have a clue how to fix anything. I don't care what they say. You say, well, man, does that kind of freak you out, Pastor? Not at all. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is in charge. And he's still king. He's sitting on the throne of heaven. And one of these days, he's going to sit on the throne here. How about that? And when Jesus comes, which is what he's talking about right here, we're not having these problems because he'll be honored and he'll be the king. Listen, we live in a, in, a, in a Chaldean, secular, humanistic society. Babylon, rejection of God. And, uh, and listen, by the way, I just throw this in for free. We're suffering the consequences of it in society. You know sin is expensive. It's expensive in all kinds of ways. I don't have time, but let me just give you a couple. Sin is expensive financially. Look at, all our, look at all of our social issues today. Where do they come from? Sin. Sin. Why, why do we have to pay for so many social programs to take care of so many problems in society? Because of sin. I'll tell you how a lot of them could be fixed. You ready? All right, this is going to be mind-blowing. Are you ready? Right here. 
the biblical nuclear family would solve most of our social issues. A mom, a dad, a dad, a mom, a male, a female, having children, and then being adult enough and responsible enough to be committed to raise them and to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Now, some of them kids going to grow up and be knuckleheads? Oh, you bet. Absolutely, because they become grown and they have to answer to God for themselves. But you, because we, adults, each generation could sure set a bunch of them on the right track if we just do what we're supposed to do. But because we don't, and I can give you the numbers because I teach this stuff in college. I can give you the numbers of unwed mothers, unwed pregnancies, single family, single parent families, where moms are raising boys. I can give you all the statistics. And we're, we're shooting ourselves in the foot is what I'm telling you. We're killing ourselves. Why? Because we simply won't do what God said. Because we simply won't do it God's way. And man, I could apply that to the whole rest of society, but I'm sure you don't want to hear that this morning. But listen, Babylon's fallen. You know what it means here? The angel says, look, this whole systemic sin problem in, in society, Jesus is coming, it's fallen. God's going to destroy it, the whole thing of Antichrist. And then finally, the third angel brings a real serious word here, <clears throat> judgment against those who follow Antichrist. Let me, let me show you this before we finish. Look at verses 9 to 11. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice. Now, first angel went through preaching the gospel. Second angel comes through and says, this whole world system is going to be destroyed. Jesus is coming. And then, then the last angel says this. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or in his hand. Now, he says if, if a person chooses to be a follower of Antichrist, to worship him and to take his verse 10. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. Look at verse 11. And the smoke men of sins forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image, and whoever received or receives the mark of his name. You know, I wrote my with an exclamation mark, strong warning, strong warning. This angel, think about that. This angel's flying through the heavens going, hey, if you take the mark of the beast, you're going to be tormented in fire and brimstone forever and ever and ever in front of the holy angels. Every one of you, don't do that. Wow, strong warning. Anyone in the tribulation who takes the mark of the beast and follows him to save their physical life, was why many of them will do it. They'll do it to save their physical life, rather than follow God and suffer loss of their life by martyrdom. He said here, you will receive, those who do that, the full measure of God's wrath, unmitigated. What does that mean? It means the wrath of God without any mercy mixed in. The wrath of God without any grace mixed in. The, the wrath of God without any compassion mixed in. But just soak that in for a minute. That's kind of scary, isn't it? You see, even when God judges today, listen to me, listen, and we're going to close. Even when God judges today, it's mitigated with mercy and with the hope that it will draw us to be saved. 
So even when we suffer chastening or the, or the wrath of God today for our sin, like the United States is suffering the judgment of God for our sin, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. But it's not all that it could be because God would have us repent of our sin and turn back to him. Listen to what this angel's saying. What he's saying here is when it gets to this point and they have received the mark of the beast and they have rejected God, he said, there's, there's no more holding back. God is gonna pour out his wrath against that sin and against those people without mitigation, with no mercy, with no grace. That's kind of scary. Matter of fact, that's real scary. And that's what the angel's proclaiming. Now, how's that gonna happen? What's their punishment gonna be? Well, he doesn't leave us to guess. He tells us right here. You will be tormented in fire and brimstone before the holy angels and before the Lamb. Fire and brimstone. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, how was Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed? Pretty much fire and brimstone. God rained down on them. What do you think the lake of fire is made out of? Mm, fire, brimstone. Basically what the angel's saying, look, if you take the mark of the beast and you worship him and you reject God, you're going to hell forever and forever and forever. By the way, how long? We just, I just said it. Forever. How long is forever? Long time. Forever is forever. And I, I say this every time I talk about hell, which we don't talk about it as much as we should probably. You think about forever. Let's just give this a thought and we'll close. Forever, the hopelessness of forever would, might be the worst part. Because forever means there's no chance of ever getting out. I mean, it, it, think of, and God doesn't say this in the Bible. I'm just using an illustration. If God said, look, for your sin, I'm, I'm going to put you in the lake of fire for 10 million years. Well, I can't even conceive that. I mean, 10 million years. There would still be a ray of hope in there, wouldn't there? Because, you know, I'd be in hell and I'd be going 10 million years. 10 million years, and I'm out here. But when God said to those who go to the lake of fire that is forever, that means there's no appeal. There's no, there's, there's no get your case reheard. There's no chance of ever getting out. So I would close with this thought. How serious a matter is it that people get saved today? Well, it's an eternal matter, isn't it? I mean, it's a forever matter. Because those who die without Jesus Christ, they're going to be separated from him forever in a place of punishment they never get out of. So how, listen, how energetic should we be in telling other people about Jesus? How energetic should we be in about saying, hey man, let me tell you about a serious issue that you need to think, you need to consider. We should be very energetic about it because the eternal destiny of people's souls hang in the balance. This angel flies to heaven and declares that. Let me close this morning with this. This is, some, this is some enlightening stuff. I mean, I don't, I, if you understand this as we've studied it today, in order to speak to your heart, the gospel's great and God is great, but the punishment's bad and, and terrible. So I would say two things. One, if you're watching online or you're here this morning and you've never been saved, listen to me, you want to get saved right now. I mean, not wait, not today, not maybe think about it, but right now. Right now, when I pray to close, you need to, you need to pray, God, forgive me, save me, God, I trust you right now. If 
you're online watching this thing, you need to, you need to hit the pause button and pray and ask Jesus to save you right now. Why? Because you leave out of here and die, have a heart attack, a stroke, get hit by a bus, the rapture comes, whatever, and you're not saved, you're in for a whole heap of trouble that you don't want to be involved in. So I encourage you, get saved today. Get saved today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being so kind and merciful as to put this stuff in the Bible so we can read it. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that is uh, just abounds, Lord, the eternal gospel. And yet, God, we know today, just like in the tribulation time, there are men and women who reject you, rebelliousness and evil and wickedness. And God, yet you are merciful and long-suffering and patient and kind. But God, there will come a day, as we read here, when the hour of judgment will come. I pray for that one that might be under the hearing of your word today, here in, in this place or or over the internet, God, that you would convict them right now, Lord, that they would, they would right now, wherever they are, in the hearing of your word, God, say, Lord, I don't know much about the Bible, and I don't know much about Christianity, but I know that I'm a sinner. And I, I heard today that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sin, and God, I believe that. And I believe you rose, you raised him again on the third day, and that he's alive. And so, God, by all the faith that I have, I ask you right now, forgive me and save my soul. Make me your own. Be my Lord. God, you'll save anybody who will ask. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and sing. I'll be down here. I can pray with you and help you in any way I can. You come in the first verse.